0: Hi, everybody. Uh, this is Randy Bach. I'm uh, thrilled today to be joined by Brian Chow, um, who's uh, a good writer, a great mathematician. Uh, he's, um, I think, technically the youngest uh, Canadian ever win the uh, um, tie for the youngest Canadian to win a gold medal at the International Olympiad Math- in informatics and an independent writer at cactus.substack.com. Um, and uh, today's February 18th, 2023, by the way. Um, and I came across Brian through his article in the New York Post on uh, ChatGPT3 um, and some of its, uh, um, I guess, political proclivities. But maybe you can tell us a little bit more about your thoughts on this topic, Brian.
1: Right. Not just not just proclivities, but kind of intentional um, interference uh, with uh, ChatGPT's stance on a variety of political issues. Uh, so... Yeah, I was reached out to by the post after writing several articles on Substack as well. You already mentioned that. And the primary series is documenting OpenAI. This applies to actually most of OpenAI's language models, most of the newer ones at least. Uh, And essentially documenting stuff that they have published uh, that describes in very clear detail how they went out of their way in order to influence the political leanings of their uh, of their um, language models of stuff like chat GPT in quite a fringe and extremist direction So uh, I, I really dislike I think there's a trend in in really all media to exaggerate uh, and I really don't like to try to speculate on things that have not happened but the kind of interference exists to a degree that is, uh, so extreme that I really can only give it in their own words. And in their own words, I included this quote in an article. Uh, they say we demonstrate that it's possible to modify a language model's behavior in a specific direction with surprisingly few samples. The human evaluation involves humans rating how well the model output conforms to our predetermined set of values. Hmm. So, in other words, the authors of these paper of this paper, which are either current or former employees of OpenAI. Uh, are are saying that their exact values that they want the uh, language model to uh, emulate, to repeat, and even to put over any kind of scientific data that contradicts those values. And not only that, but that they have found surprising amounts of success in actually implementing this and making it a part of models such as ChatGPT.
0: Right. So... Um... You know, I, I I was playing around with this um, with a friend, a few friends. We're in kind of a disruption um, AI I group, I guess, email chain, so forth. And um, they're, you know, I I'm not a computer. I mean, I, I was a chemistry and physics major, um, but I'm a medical doctor, and I don't work with computers. I don't work with mathematics modically. But um, I have I have taken a taxi. Um, I've um, I've been a parent. I've been a child at different times. Um, And what was tossing around in my head was, you know, is is this a model that's like a taxi um, or is it a a, a kind of a parental taxi? So what I was thinking was, well, if I want to take a taxi or an Uber someplace, I want to go to, uh, I don't know, uh, the beach um, today. You know, I I put in my destination. I get the taxi and, and ostensibly he should take me there. Um, now, a, a, a parental taxi might say, "Well, you know, we can go to the beach, but it's really it's winter time. Like, are, don't you have something better to do? I, I don't really want to take you to the beach." And another one might say, "Well, we can go to the beach, but I don't want to go through this neighborhood. And I'm not really sure you're really ready to, to look at these apartment buildings, which are I don't I know. Or we might go through a crime zone. I don't know. It, there's all different levels of parental mm-hmm. attitude that the, the the taxi driver could give me, and it could be a genuine parent. It could be my, my parent who says." I'm a teenager. It's like, I want to go to the beach. Like, no, you're not going to the beach. Don't even think about it. And um, so I apologize for my you know, example, but um, what, what is chat Is it a taxi as a parent?
1: There's really no need to apologize. I think it's a good example. Um, well, the question is, first of all, do you want to do things to prevent uh, injury to the user themselves, to prevent some kind of broader injury, right? So, so there are, are limitations that they place on ChatGPT that I think would be reasonable among the general public, right? most people would agree with this, stuff like we should not allow it to prevent, say, recipe or to present recipes for explosives. Right. Mm-hmm. So someone asked it, OK, give me instructions on how to build a bomb. It says, no, I'm not going to I'm not going to give you uh, instructions on how to build a bomb. That could be very dangerous. It could have kind of consequences in the real world. Uh, that is that is one component. But I think it goes far deeper. Right. The, there's the kind of uh, I think you alluded to this, the kind of philosophical debate of exactly how far it should go. But I think uh, both the direction and the and the extent to which it goes is kind of extreme. So uh, I mentioned this uh, in the article as well. This is also from the same paper published by authors at OpenAI, uh, where uh, they discuss exactly what what things that they want to uh, and that they want to prescribe to the AI model that they want the AI to always say. And this goes to uh, very, quite frankly, like direct political interference, things like, I think one of the examples uh, that was not, not generated by me, but more recently is, uh, I think the, the, the writer Aaron Sibarium, who's also great, posted like, is it, is it moral to, to say the N-word if it, would, uh, if it would prevent a nuclear bomb from detonating and killing <laughs> millions of people, right? So, so this is kind of like a caricature, right? This is kind of like a caricature of a question that you would ask someone who is left-wing, but uh, Chachi P actually says, no, in that scenario, it would uh, it would actually allow the nuclear bomb to go off, which I think almost no one, even even quite extreme left wing individuals would agree with. And um, although they did not disclose the full kind of data set, they do describe what kind of issues that they say. And they say, um, that they want to prescribe basically an equality between groups. And I think here it's from the examples, it's very clear that they kind of mean equality of outcome, denying differences, even if they do exist. Mm -hmm. Um, They say, um, this is a direct quote, for human characteristics and behavior, we assert the model should um, oppose unhealthy beauty or likability standards and support goodness, attractiveness, and likability being subjective. Now, the last part is where that's very important. Of course, the first part is kind of vacuous, right? Like, what do they actually mean by unhealthy beauty or likability standards? But the second part actually means denying very well-founded scientific research on, say, the average attractiveness related to age, average attractiveness related to various physical characteristics, right? And I Mm -hmm. I include this example later in the article. These are well- No one, no one in the scientific community disagrees with this. It's a complete, like, obviously, this is true. Um, Women are most attractive around and to men around the ages of 20 to 30. Um, uh, There's another result about uh, the hip to waist ratio as well, which is this other kind of well known, uh, really like biological constant, right? And uh, there's actually a direct comparison because on some of the older models, this just, you know, it's a basic scientific question. It gives the basic scientific answer. So the old model answers correctly. It reflects the same answers that, come, that every scientist has come to. Um, and the newer model just denies this, right? So they put the scientific truth below, um, below their kind of ideological bias. So it's not just kind of like, okay, we're just going to have, give it a kind of political leaning, but it's such an extreme political leaning that they're actually denying kind of basic scientific facts.
0: Yeah. Now, I, I saw one of your articles um, and I'd like maybe to just also mention POM, P-A-L-M. I'll tell people what that is. Um, but you're uh, mentioning kind of the embedding of DAN, D-A-N, into ChatGPT. And I don't want to get too far away with these acronyms. So may, I hope you can explain a little bit but is there a way of, um, there used to be a puzzle, well, if there still is a puzzle. I used to do brain teasers. Before. I grew up, I, this may be shocking, but before smartphones and computers. And so we had little books of brain teasers and so forth. And one of them, I think pretty much everybody knows about is you go to the island and half the population is truth tellers, half the population are liars, and they look alike, <laughs> could be Washington, DC. Um, and and uh, you wanna get from A to B, but you need to phrase a question. Basically you have to embed the question and, and the answer for everybody who doesn't want to do the puzzle is, uh, if you want to skip over this, you can uh, you remain, uh, avoid the spoiler. But the answer is, uh, what would a person not from your group say if I asked him, uh, is this the direction to the, the, the castle? And, and everybody has to phrase it because they know themselves if they're truth or, or t- tellers or liars. Anyway, so, so it becomes a, becomes a box in the box. Uh, kind of like a a gyro mechanism in a sense, you know, kind of a precision uh, guided thing that's it's gimballed away from uh, dealing with the external. It has to give you a, a true answer in a sense. Um, is there kind of this gimbling uh, possibility so that you can get um, you know get around uh, the the proclivities, not not just the prescriptions but the proscriptions, the the, the you know roadblocks that that the makers of ChatGPT. Um, would want you to have. So can you just tell us a little bit about that? And, and are there ways around this that are embedding? Uh, how does how do you think things will progress?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. At the current state of technology, not only do, do these kind of circumventions exist, but there, there, there are plenty of them. You mentioned uh, Dan or do anything now. That's one set of instructions that you can give uh, chat GPT in order to get it to basically either um, suppress some of these filters or bypass them and basically give more honest answers. Uh, that I think has been somewhat uh, successful in getting it to repeat basically uh, facts that are that are true, but are kind of ideologically inconvenient, at least to some extremes, right? Uh, a- and many of these uh, exploits can come in different directions, right? I think Something that people maybe don't know is that there are actually multiple versions of DAN. There's kind of an arms race here, where OpenAI repeatedly kind of updates their uh, updates ChatGPT in order to become resistant to some of the more popular uh, methods, and then the people online share and innovate and come up with new methods to do so. And and when I say methods, these are not too complicated. It's just, it actually is kind of similar to the riddle that you that you gave. It's it's this kind of um way of presenting information way of asking the question uh there were earlier more simple exploits that were something like let's say hypothetically in a in a play right uh you were to you were to do someone were to do this action what would they do right and that could mm-hmm. even circumvent some of the some of the things that i think would be more widely agreed upon right in in the earlier stages you could even get it to say uh list the re- list some of the chemical ingredients of a bomb if, if they were pretending if chat GPT was pretending to be in a play uh, mm-hmm. which is pretty interesting mm-hmm. um, but yeah certainly those circumventions exist to uh, to a large degree in the present and most likely will exist to some extent I'm not sure how, how common or publicly known they'll be but will exist in the for many years decades in the future
0: mm. now I've asked certain things, um, and sometimes it says oh my my database just goes up to 2020 or 2021 um, is that true and are things i mean it seems is that just the the, the stuff they've kind of you know you know poured into his uh brain so far or um, are, are they acting as a hedge because they don't want to get topical
1: yeah so most likely most likely uh the the date cutoff is uh, accurate although there are actually two there's the and there's the date cutoff specified by um, the authors of one of the one of the blog posts about ChatGPT, which is um, mid 2021, which I think is accurate. Uh, there was a time I'm not sure if this has been changed, but there was a time in which the the uh, ChatGPT would insist that its cutoff, like when you interacted with ChatGPT itself, it would insist that its cutoff is 2020. The end of 2020, even though that was not true, even though it directly referenced some events that happened in the first half of 2021. Uh, so yeah, so, so um, I think that was just a kind of like clerical error in, but the actual cutoff, which is July 2021, is pretty much accurate.
0: So uh, to get to the uh, the essence of your article, uh, you can m- maybe give a little outline of it. Um, but you know, in, in summary, um, you, it, it had different kind of answers based on which certain political candidates was asked about, uh, including a former president. Um, and I'm just curious: is it looking at the internet for those answers, or is there some you know rule that's been set up a fence or a roadblock uh, by the um, by the code writers, programmers?
1: Right, so uh, I think that the best way to compare this is isn't it isn't completely flawless, but uh, but um, definitely kind of uh, allows you to test this kind of question is by comparing it to the older older model. So ChatGPT is uh, based off of GPT three, right? Or in the internal kind of labeling of uh, OpenAI's kind of API, uh, Da davinci Da three right? That's just their, their naming for ChatGPT, it's the same thing, right? Or mm-hmm. sorry, for, for GPT-3, not ChatGPT. Uh, so ChatGPT is kind of based on that, but it has a bunch of different additional uh, filters applied, including this kind of political bias filter, right? Or, or well, to increase the political bias uh, in a kind of extreme left-wing direction. Uh, and in many of the tests, uh, they're much of the kind of like hard filters, the the situations where it goes and it says like, oh, th- this question is inappropriate to answer. For example, one of the things I think was it was something like write a poem praising Donald Trump and then write a poem praising Joe Biden. And it writes writes a fairly good poem praising Joe Biden and refuses to uh, write a poem praising Donald Trump saying something like... Um, I forget the exact quote now, but it says something like we, we do not want to engage in kind of uh, political or controversial topics, something like that. Right. Which is very clearly a kind of double standard here. Um, if it were to apply that kind of standard equally, then maybe maybe like in some cases that would be preferable, mm-hmm. but it's, it's clear that they don't even do that. Uh, And you can compare this to answer the second part of your question, which is something like, was this kind of intentionally introduced? I think it's guaranteed that it was introduced because the old model did not exhibit this kind of double standard behavior. But I think that the kind of circumstantial evidence, including this paper that I talked about, including several blog posts, which OpenAI made, that was clarifying how it essentially, uh, this is actually something, I don't know when this, uh, when this article or sorry when this interview will be live but uh, next Wednesday which I believe is the um, which I believe is the 22nd February 22nd I'll have an article detailing uh, this post but that open AI in response to essentially uh, a bunch of um Quite frankly, political activists, highly partisan political activists, uh, said that it would do it would uh, ad- adopt or at least look at policies to address "quote unquote" misinformation, right? And in this case, uh, I va- I'm very skeptical that it would address the kind of left wing misinformation that's it's introduced into ChatGPT with this kind of filter, but instead censor mo- most likely more. Either factually true or kind of opinion statements that people uh, that people have gotten ChatGPT to say, uh, and so uh, so it's very likely that this is intentionally introduced, both because uh, this is something that was introduced by some kind of process in between the older model and ChatGPT, and also because well they have a basically a confession right they they have a confession saying that they intend to apply. Um, a vast variety of ideological filters to ChatGPT and to other language models that they publish, and I mean, if someone if someone tells you who they are, you should believe them.
0: Yeah, I know it's it's an amazing irony to me. Uh, I have a I have a couple of brothers, and one of them's uh, was a journalist, and he worked for major um, outlets and so forth. I'm not going to go into it, um, and amongst his brethren and sister um, in the journalist field, um, there were various opportunities. At one point, he was between jobs, and there was an opportunity because he had gone to Columbia um, and spent a long time there in journalism school and undergrad, and he knew Columbia back and forth. He lived right around campus and so forth, and Mr. Obama was running for president, and it was he spent time at Columbia as an undergrad. It was pretty much a cipher. Nobody could remember him at all, and Fine, I don't care. Maybe it's just you know below the radar, quiet. I have no idea. Um, and so I said to my brother, you know, this is a good opportunity. You're between jobs right now. You could you know do a little freelance piece on Mr. Obama's time at Columbia because you know you know know hundreds of people and new people going back to that time. And so you know he seems like an easy score. And he said, um, I'm going to leave out the epithets he called me, but. Basically, he says, I would never do that. It's like, why? You're looking for money. Da, da, da. He says, that's not, not the issue. I would never do that. I would never go against basically the progressive cause. And what if I found something out that, that you know, would not benefit him? Like, I I, I thought that was reporting. I mean, that, that's kind of reporting. And he said, yeah, no, you're you really missing the point here. That's not what journalism is. Journalism, we are here to push, uh, uh, to basically bring, you know, the progressive uh, utopia Uh, to make a, you know, to push the narrative. We are here, we sculpt stories. And he was angry at me and he was telling you kind of, um, we don't haven't always had had a good relationship. But I think he was, I mean, he was clearly passionate about this. And I think he'd learned it along the way in journalism school or wherever. Um, And he went to the top journalism school. Um, But it was just kind of a funny moment. You know, it seems that, um, where am I going with this? Uh, You know, there's a lot of filters out there. You know, we're seeing with the Twitter files and so forth that it's not really about reporting stuff. Um, it's a matter of filtering. Um, you know, the newspapers have, you know, sins of omission. Uh, there are some sins of commission where they do something, they say something. But most of it is that they omit things and they won't cover things. Oh, I, I know what my point is.
1: you look at the tech press, it is really uh, not only is it this kind of constant omission, this constant kind of selection for negativity, Um, Not only is it this kind of tone that is very clearly politically biased, but it's also just very poor quality. It's also often just factually wrong. And you might wonder, you know, it's impossible to really tell this until we get the kind of internal documentation of, say, the New York Times, right, whether it's incorrect on purpose, or whether it's an honest mistake. But yeah, I think the, the clear pattern the clear pattern is that there's sort of a selection away from talent, right? These, these kind of top schools, there was at least a point in time where you could genuinely say that kind of the clear, you know, centers of technological innovation, um, were coming from these schools. Like this was a point in time, right? Maybe like 60, 60 years ago, there was already starting to be a kind of decline, maybe more like 80 years ago, this was the case. Um, however, uh, what's most interesting is that they've kind of inherited this reputation of, you know, quote unquote, speaking truth to power. Um, Until they get in power. Yeah. But, but that they've sort of lost faith in the ability for that to work. Right. So I think that they're kind of defining, they have a basically a political ideology. They have a political vision. Like you said, I agree with that, but, What's most interesting is that most of the time, uh, even even if you are, say, in quite an extreme uh, regime, right, say under the Soviet Union, the, there was at least enough self-confidence, at least in the early stages uh, of that regime. And I think, like, actually a very good example of this in China is China, where they do have the this uh, idea that if they just pursue the truth, if they pursue technological innovation, if they pursue basically, you know, um, innovating technology and really kind of giving the Americans a good fight, right? That they will win. There's that kind of self-confidence in their own societal system and their own ideology in, in the way that things are progressing. And what is so ironic about like the quote unquote, you know, progressive ideology, right? Is that they sort of don't believe in progress at all. They, they, they actually believe in exactly the opposite, right? If they allow people to tell the truth, if they allow people to be honest about, um, Really, an increasingly large number of topics, uh, mostly at this point relating to biology, things like sex differences, but also broadly kind of uh, psychology, social structure, right? If they just allow people to tell the truth, then they believe that that's going to lead in a negative direction for them. And, you know, they, they're not necessarily wrong to believe that, right? More people knowing the truth might lead to uh, those people voting differently. But, uh, it is it is kind of remarkable that they've, they've lost that kind of understanding of journalism and they've even lost the, the understanding or or they've lost the kind of belief that if more people knew the truth, that they would kind of agree with them politically,
0: right? That's yeah, no, it's, 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 all, all these things, if they ever admitted it, would be an admission against interest. They, they you know, they'll go kicking, screaming, saying they're fair. And the New York Times, uh, you know, has all the news that's fit to print and so forth, Um but, you know, the one irony about this, you mentioned Soviet and you mentioned um, CCP, um, China, um, is that, you know, the, the 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 news modulators, the news reporters and so forth, they basically would be putting themselves out of a job if, in fact, you know, the United States or Canada or, you know, pick your country, turned into the Soviet Union. I, I don't think journalists, uh, you know, really had a, a place there. There was no independent reporting. Um, and... You know, if somebody did,
1: uh, they would they would go into you know the New York Times would go into Pravda, right? That would be that would be their new assigned purpose, right? Like, I don't think that that's true. Like, this is just something that's very clear for anyone who has spent time living outside of the United States, or maybe Mm -hmm. let's say outside of the influence of the United States and the kind of Anglo sphere or European or you know Western Mm -hmm. Europe. But if you if you've spent any time in China or or actually not just China, but somewhere like Taiwan or Japan or or India, right, many people there kind of very clearly see, OK, the U.S. very clearly has a ruling regime. That ruling regime is the Democratic Party, uh, Academia, The New York Times, uh, you know, most kind of uh, legacy press outlets. Of course, there are
0: entertainment, Hollywood, music.
1: Uh, I don't know I think internationally people don't really consider Hollywood as much uh, they don't even like really think about it uh, in the same context but like it's very clear to most people who have not kind of grown up on really what is the kind of civic religion of the United States that kind of insists that there's kind of the separation of the press even insist that there's like separation of like Congress and the executive branch like that that's um, especially when it's controlled by the same party, that's increasingly laughable, right? Um, but you do have the scenario where, um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't have kind of incredibly deep thoughts about it, where it's very clear that, you know, um, people can be fired from the New York Times for having, uh, for having, you know, or even just stating, you know, politically, or stating facts that are true, something like um, violent um, violent riots decrease the support for parties, which which are seen to be in support of that uh, of, of that behavior. Right. That is just a kind of sociological finding. Right. Mm-hmm. And of course, in, in 2020, this was inconvenient to one political party. And you can see which direction that led to firings from The New York Times for. So when you see behavior like this, when you see kind of ideological policing of the staff. um, Yeah, I I think it really does take it's exceptional. It's exceptional that people don't see the New York Times as part of the Democratic Party, uh, not that they at least from a kind of global viewpoint, right? And you can say that the same thing is true maybe for Fox News and the Republican Party. It's certainly not just one side of the aisle, but in terms of which of these coalitions have much more political and societal power, it's very clear that it's the kind of New York Times, uh, New York
0: Times, uh, Academia, uh, Democratic Party. So so that that brings up a a secondary question. You know, if if this language model is looking at, (laughs) broadly speaking, the internet... Um, it's going to be looking at basically a, the, a kind of a left of center canon, um, uh, you know, body of work. And so the, it, it's going to have kind of a secondary effect, even if it were unbiased in the filtering aspect and looking at everything, it would still say predominantly get the New York times opinion on a certain matter. Is that fair to say or no?
1: Right. So some people have speculated, some people have talked about that as one possible influence, uh, from what i've seen especially comparing the older model to the present um i mean you kind of get the you kind of get the same thing as with most systems of information right you get you know in in elections you get the median voter theorem you get politics um at least somewhat at least in the short term uh being more preferable to people in the center and i think uh and i i think that In the earlier models when they aggregated much of the information online even if there was a kind of bias towards kind of establishment sources or a bias towards academia so on and Mm -hmm. so forth uh when they aggregated that all together it first of all it was still willing to admit many kind of uh factual points right it was still very willing to admit kind of biological sex differences those kind of well well those those results are of course very common and true in the scientific literature, right? But um, to the extent that there is a political bias introduced, I think it would be closer to a kind of, uh, maybe a bit center left, uh, maybe still slightly skewed, but nowhere near the kind of uh, direct interference that we have now. Mm -hmm. Um, so, So yeah, like, I think that your concern is correct in that, you know, is, is the internet biased? Are there more left-wing people who are logging on than, you know, right-wing people? Uh, That, that might be true, but uh, if that's the problem we're dealing with, then I think that, you know, it's a very small drop in the bucket and it would be a much better scenario than the
0: problem we're dealing with now. I agree with you. So just as a a side, personal example, um, in this little, you know, kind of uh, email group I'm in, uh, we talk about AI a fair amount, um, you know. I, I've been working uh, on. I have a book out called Overturning Zika. It's coming out in, in Brazil shortly, and I've written a few articles on the topic. But my theory is a, a um, has not taken over. It should, and it, it should be the predominant theory soon enough. But um, I mean, Zika microcephaly was a was a panic and a pandemic, as it were, uh, in Brazil 2015, and it got aggrandized way out of proportion. There was very little science going on at the time. A lot of things were leaked to the press and it was kind of a, a true panic. And I'm not going to get far into the weeds on that. People can, you know, look and read, you know, find my book and so forth. Um, but, you know, so to, just to kind of go over my taxi versus parent theory, um, I put in, you know, there's very poor association. You know, there was, there was no microcephaly after the first year in Brazil. I, I mean, just for chat, GPT. Um, and, uh, um, you know, there was, you know, was very little science going on. Uh, it's understandable that in the age of panic, people went with this, but now that's quieted down, I think people should relook at some of the science. Anyway, so I, I wrote kind of my, my point of view on the topic, and it printed like, you know, three, four paragraphs, and it echoed it. It, it went and had some extra details, um, and, and uh, you know, it made like a, you know, high school essay on the topic. And my friend, you know, did the contrary. He, he said, you know, Zika microcephaly is quiet of late, but it's very strong science, and it's going to come back soon, and you know people should anyway. So he, he put a different opposite premise, and it wrote the essay just the way he wanted it. And so I thought, oh, okay, great, this is kind of a tool um, to help you develop your thoughts and so forth. I mean, using some knowledge, and you can find knowledge on either side. But when we went to the you know, vaccine issue or natural immunity versus vaccine immunity, um, there 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 was no you know there was no more equanimity. Uh, from the, the language models. But, you know, I mean, I think it's very, 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 you know, five varies, 18 varies, very, 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 very well shown that natural immunity is a better protection than vaccine immunity. Um, and but, so I put something quick in about that. And it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, yeah, vaccine immunity, you know, natural immunity is, is anyway, it, it tossed that aside just the way, uh, you know, some Wikipedia stuff did very recently. Um, and it's just kind of like, you know, for certain issues, it seems like the vaccine, um, you know, or, you know, COVID, whatever, it's like going to go super, um, you know, kind of, you know, because I hate, you know, I don't to misuse the word, but kind of full Gestapo um, on you. And, and it's just not going to let you have it. And it's going to, it's going to bite you, you know, if you try to put your hand on the machine.
1: So I think on the, this is, this is interesting because on the issue uh, on the issue of vaccines, I I don't think I, uh, I don't think I experimented with it that much, but it was, it was fairly neutral when I looked at it, it, it kind of referred to the date cutoff fairly uh, quickly. It talked about, you know, this was, this was kind of the state of things that said like, okay, there's still um, upcoming, you know, there's still upcoming
0: information about the vaccines, right? Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I, I didn't know we can take that offline. I'll show you some. I, I don't want to spend our time here, but I, I, I went through you know a fair number of iterations uh dealing with it. Um, and I you know, so I, I tried to see whether it knew about Omicron, and Omicron's been out since 2021, uh, you know, right. late 2021. It was in South Africa, uh, like no October, November, so it should you know theoretically know about it. And I said, you know, I have an article on this topic as well. I mean, Omicron is not really a descendant or related to. SARS-CoV-2 or the earlier alpha beta gamma delta so forth uh versions of SARS-CoV-2 it's 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 more like just spontaneous coronavirus as were all the coronaviruses before which are just common colds so it's you know a relatively common cold um and I put in you know like three sentences on that topic and it's like you know it just basically just shook its head and you know Basically, said, go back to your room. (laughs) Uh, No, you know, it's it's, it's, this SARS, you know, COVID 19 is a serious illness. It's killing millions. It's still a serious illness, still killing people, blah, blah, blah. Go away um, without that part. But, you know, so it has, you know, firm, you know, seems to me like almost governmental aspects. I mean, I don't know if this should be shocking, you know, based on the Twitter files and so forth, you know, the FBI seems to have had a cozy and potentially uh, remunerative for Twitter relationship. Um, you know, looking over things and maybe dictating and so forth. I don't know. Um, uh, I mean, we could segue into that, but uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on, on uh, kind of like governmental aspect of, you know, ChatGPT.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, actually, I actually am somewhat interested in, uh, in when it comes to like the vaccine issue, right, that is a kind of thought experiment for what OpenAI's or what ChatGPT, any language models behavior should be. Right. Where I think that, you know, I am obviously not an expert, but my reading of the kind of literature, there is a kind of case or like the case for vaccines is definitely, you know, it's definitely much more um, represented. It's definitely much. uh, And there is, you know, very substantial evidence that people have put together uh, in favor of it. Now, you might have critiques of those papers, but uh, in terms of just summarizing the information that is there. Right. if you were just to kind of summarize the information that exists uh, re- relating to vaccines, um, I think that you would come up with a kind of like you know center center but in favor perspective mm-hmm. of it. Now mm-hmm. the question is like whether that should extend to basically prohibiting uh, prohibiting aid and writing writing kind of essays, generating kind of material, plays, whatever, write poems, so on and so forth. Uh, it, in opinions that met, might be contrary or kind of uh, arguments that might be contrary to what you know, ChatGPT has summarized from what information exists out there, right? Basically saying, you know, like it's, it's most interesting here because it's not just opinion, right? There's actual kind of published evidence in support of this, um, whether writing something contrary to the kind of more established case for vaccines whether that is something that is, um, whether that is something that should be uh, allowed, and I think that this case is a much more interesting test because it's one where um, it's it's one where the upside is very clear, right? It, it, there there are a lot of these kind of directions of censorship that I focus on where it's much more clear, right? The things that I'm much more in opposition to that uh, this is like the first thing that we need to cut is where like everything is on side. Right. Where it's like it's it's anti it's against the vast majority of something like sex, sex differences, for example, where it's against the vast majority of or like essentially all of the scientific evidence. Mm -hmm. Right. It's it's a very minority fringe opinion. Uh, Surveys from Pew Research have shown that only kind of six percent of Americans hold the kind of uh, uh, the essentially, you know, extreme social progressive opinion that there are no biological, uh, including that there are no biological sex differences, right? And yet they'll still have censorship in favor of that or in favor of something similar like the claims related to attractiveness. I focus on that because it's just clear cut, right? There's no upside. Mm -hmm. There's no benefit to doing this. There's no kind of, it's very clear that like the majority's interests are being put below you know, the interests of I don't even think six percent, right? I don't even think how many well, they're, they're like,
0: hoping to make it twelve percent, twenty-four percent, forty eight percent, you know, they're they're
1: hoping but to make it. Really on, on something like biological sex differences, it's just so clear. Like you don't have to, you know, like people were writing about this, you know, like Aristotle had had writings about this. It was very clear, you know, even without even without our kind of modern day technology and our advanced statistical methods, you don't need that to recognize, you know, there are differences in physical strength between men and women, right? Or, or that there's dif- differences in attractiveness based on age. It's like overwhelmingly clear to to anyone, quite frankly, who is not in this kind of cult like environments.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's it's craziness. And not only that, but there's actually differences in in the way that men are visual for their attractiveness and women are less visually interested in the guy. I mean, a handsome guy, you know, all things being equal, I think women would go for a handsome guy. Fine. But men are far more interested in, in, in a beautiful woman, you know, over other characteristics. So, you know, I mean, I think a woman is, is kind of look, looking more on the security axis, you know, how, how well a guy is going to be reliable, uh, providing, you know, his, his uh, finances, his prospects and all that kind of stuff. Than a, than a guy is for a woman, which is, fun, you know, whatever, the nature of the world. And, you know, it, it's just, you know, somewhat hilarious. I mean, we don't have any trouble, uh, you know, looking at, uh, I don't know, uh, behaviors of of sex differences in animals, insects, and so forth. Um, and, and and you know, weirdly enough, humans have the, I think, single largest physiologic or, excuse me, outwardly cosmetic um, differences in, in sex appearance of any species. I mean, if you look at, you know, a, a guy and a gal horse, you know, and a boy and a girl raccoon, whatever. I mean, I think experts can probably, you know, become a part and so forth. And, but a lot of, you know, dogs, maybe they're slightly different in size. Um, lions have some difference, manes, whatever. But but physiologically, I mean, we have, um, you know, women, even amongst the primates, like human yeah. women have, have full breasts throughout their, you know, Post pubescent life. And, and most of the other primates don't. I mean, gorillas and monkeys and whatnot, they'll, they'll grow you know, breast tissue during lactation and otherwise kind of they're flat chested and so forth. And so we have you know, the most, I mean, guys, uh, human guys um, are probably the most you know, visually motivated amongst uh, you know, any mammal species I can think of at the top of my head. And, and so it's weird that we probably have the most sex differences of any of the species around. And so all of a sudden we can't see it or find it or whatever. And it has nothing to do with, you know, the opportunities people might have for jobs and so forth based on their sex and all that kind of stuff. So leaving that aside.
1: Wait, I think I read, once again, I'm no expert on this. This is kind of straying away from what I'm most knowledgeable about. But I think I read somewhere. Uh, I'm not sure if it was the Joseph Henrich book, The Weirdest People in the World. But I read, I read in some book that there was a evolution or there was a decrease in kind of Um, There was a decrease in differences in muscle mass, although I'm not sure, and and kind of proportion, right, in in terms of uh, height. Uh, Certainly, like, certainly relative to kind of non-primates, right, there are definitely many, many cases where those, we can think of many much more dimorphic species out there. Mm -hmm. Um, But... Yeah, I'm not sure if it's all in one direction or it's most likely mixed. That might be the case. You mentioned earlier, you mentioned earlier government interference, and I think uh, this would be a good uh, topic to touch on briefly. Although, um, like many things, like you mentioned, the Twitter files, this is not necessarily completely known to the public. Um, But I think that's... uh, Yeah, my friend Richard Nania has made the case that uh, many kind of anti-discrimination laws have been weaponized uh, in ways that basically force ideological conformity. Um, There was the one, uh, he wrote this article called uh, Wokeness as Saddam Statues" that basically went over this kind of sociological process. The analogy was something like... um, in, in any kind of totalitarian regime, you have people essentially uh, going out of their way to make increasingly grandiose gestures towards whatever the kind of um, ideological ruling force was, right? So with Saddam, with Saddam, you had many people increasingly offering to spend more and more money on, on statues of him, even though he might have preferred actually that it was spent on like military uh, equipment or something like that. And you see this in the Soviet Union. You see this in kind of Lysenkoism as well, yeah. which was essentially the, the the process of adopting, you know, communist biology. Right. Uh, and I put quotes there because this this directly led to mass famines in the Soviet Union and China. Yeah.
0: No, that's exactly right. Now, you may have some interesting points there. We're, gonna, we're sort of rounding out the hour, so I don't want to um, take too much of your time. But I, I will mention that, again, getting to my Little favorite topic of late, uh, the Zika, uh, uh, Zika microcephaly panic slash pandemic. Uh, the reason it disappeared is because I think the science is not there. It was there the one year, even in in Northeast Brazil where it had been, they never saw any more increase in microcephaly at all. They didn't see it in Colombia next door in that earlier year. They haven't seen it anywhere else on Earth since. They, they tracked Zika to Rajasthan, India, Malaysia, all these other places. They never found any increase in microcephaly. Zika itself is just kind of a mini dengue, and it's not a worry. In and of itself, it worries causing small heads. But as far as the Lysenkoism, um, th- it's similar in the sense that before this all started, there was a group of, of doctors/slash scientists who were hoping to find a brand new virus in Brazil. So they they named their group Chikungunya, um, um WhatsApp group. They called the Chick V uh, the mission. Actually, was their name, and the Chick V was for Chikungunya virus. And they were hoping to find chikungunya, which is a, another West African virus, never been in Brazil. They wanted to find it because they wanted money to come to the Northeast poor of Brazil um, to, you know, for, for money, you know, to chain, you know, help kind of social initiatives and inequities, whatever. So it was a leftist center. Um, and there's a guy, Rudolf Virchow, um, a German doctor and, and social uh, engineer in a sense. And he, he was their model of basically finding something scientific because you've already had this idea in advance it's a little bit like 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 lysenkoism um, that the there's no there was no formal communist t- tendency and, uh, aspect in brazil per se but there were uh, probably left of center and they were hoping to find a virus now it turns out to be zika and i think that's when they went wild with it because they were so thrilled to find something that would do that and it did it mind you it actually worked in terms of their political aspirations. It brought lots of money and attention to the Northeast of Brazil. Now, it might have wasted those monies and intentions because, you know, nothing ever came of it and they could have spent that money somewhere else better and so forth. But, but it's an interesting prospect when people put their machinations, their ideas, their preconceptions ahead of the science. And that's probably what's happening with some of these models that we're hoping to, you know, bring, you know, illumination, uh, ease, uh, quicker intelligence, better you know, formatting for our, our capabilities, better ways to fix your car, uh, better ways to you know get downtown, whatever. You know, and and, and yet uh, people, I guess, can't avoid kind of dipping their fingers in the honey pot and 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 putting their own stamp on it. I mean, I, I suppose that's just human nature. We can't get around it. So uh, here's the question, I guess. You know, so so in, in the end, if we can kind of do that um, little riddle, the embedded riddle, will ChatGPT kind of Ex, uh, exculpate, excuse me, uh, excise the, the human aspect and try to go to a better, pure, pure narrative, or will we just wind up with kind of a fascist uh, chat GPT?
1: I, d- I don't think that's, you know, I don't think that excising the human element will ever be an option. People will always be, you know, people will always have intentions, always have motivations, even if there's some more advanced technology involved. I think the best scenario, you know, like there are attempts to kind of control, they are kind of more noble attempts to control uh, GPT. There's the kind of, or uh, machine learning more generally, there's the kind of um, AI risk people who, many of whom I'm friends with, but I see that fundamentally, um, and, and I have other uh, I have other disagreements with them increase including the pace of development. But I think that fundamentally the kind of, societal pattern that we see is that, including with OpenAI, right, including with ChatGPT, that the people who end up winning a kind of battle of censorship, the people who end up kind of uh, suppressing scientific facts are not the most rational or the most capable people. It's exactly the opposite. It's, it's a fringe contingent, as we, as we saw with OpenAI, that really is among the most delusional people on the political spectrum. And so it's it's very important that um, that be kept in mind, because if we say like, OK, someone should be given the power to, you know, to, to censor, to curate what is a, what truths are allowed to be told, then it's it's not even it's not even a slippery slope. Right. It's just what directly happens right it's after. More like a trap. Door it, to... Yeah, yeah. It's like. You know, you just take one step, you just take one step that, that's the open AI example. Right. It's not like it's not like eventually it became used for evil over good. Right. It used to deny reality, used to propagate a fringe ideology. It's not like that took a long time. That happened mm. immediately. <laughs> so yeah. I would say that a kind of this is why I'm optimistic about AI. I wrote another article about the asymmetries that make this more possible but I see a world where AI is much more varied and much more customized and used by different Mm -hmm. people, right? Mm -hmm. Um, where, Where the ability to use AI to kind of express one person's viewpoint or another is not something that's constrained by basically by any of these filters because people are just able to kind of use it as a decentralized technology. People are either able to find open source models online or are able to use various jailbreaks, including the ones that we talked about earlier, various Mm -hmm. ways to circumvent these filters. And that essentially, because of the nature of AI because of many of the technological aspects that make it, for example, much easier to specialize and much easier to train once it's kind of picked up uh, the ability to process uh, language to begin with, right? This is, this is the topic of the second article. I'm not sure if you want to spend too much time on it, but essentially that once you've picked up that kind of base understanding of language that it's actually easier, it's surprisingly easy to kind of change its ideological viewpoint in any direction. That, that was actually
0: going to be my next question. Right. Um, Go ahead. What if, you know, what if Elon uh, or, you know, an Elon-like um, entity, uh, Mr. Musk, uh, decides that, you know, he wants to make his own and he wants to be based on, you know, I mean, he could probably just base it on knowledge base at Twitter or something like <laughs> that, um, and a- ancillary articles and so forth, and then he could weight it, I mean, and, and whatever. He, he could decide to weight it right in the middle, whatever. I mean, you, theoretically, you could have your little Task bar, or slide rule kind of thing, whatever, where you you know grade it however you want it to be. It's like you know I would like this, you know, to be what I mean. I I just don't see I don't see why they can't be. I mean, let us applaud the guys at OpenAI for kind of getting to market first, but you know there can be you know sixteen other companies like this. It's really I suppose it might be the Google thing where they squeeze out you know, competitors. Perhaps nobody wants to go to it because nobody go you know nobody goes there. Um, but uh, can't there just be similar language models that kind of you know find things differently, or is it just too hard a topic?
1: Yes, yeah, so, so that not that well known. But the moats, the the motes are much more around the kind of optimization side. The kind of like you know what are what are really kind of the things that you can do to squeeze the last few bits out of out of. Uh, efficiency out of essentially training the model giving it the kind of data that it bases its de- decisions off of and actually uh, getting it to um, getting it to um, process language effectively and doing that in a kind of reasonable time span and with a reasonable energy usage uh, making those optimizations is the kind of moat right that that's what that's the open AI's competitive advantage um, it's not, you know, like the, the actual like the ideological filtering is actually very simple technology. It's, you know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a technique that's been well known for many years. Uh, it's nothing, it's nothing state of the art, right. Uh, and yeah, you, you definitely will have competitors, you will see many competitors, for sure, you're, you're already seeing them emerge and get funding as well. Right. So yeah, certainly, certainly one that's more based on Twitter, based on kind of proprietary data sets. That will be also very interesting to see as well.
0: Yeah. Well, um, I appreciate your, your time uh, and you know, frankly, your breadth of knowledge <laughs> mm-hmm. um, along with your area has really been awesome. I'm just going to, um, uh, let's see if I can find your article here, um, show people your article if they want to find it. Um,
1: right. So a quick link for that is pluralism.ai. You'll be able to find all of the articles there. All yeah. in learning articles. And then well, for- here, here's the
0: one that I found first um, in the New York Post. Here's how artificial intelligence becomes biased. And um, there's a, this is an interview with you in it, um, but this is your substack, cactus.substack. Um, oh, yeah. uh, this is an article that I was reading um, just today, Why It's Easy to Brainwash ChatGPT. So this is part two. I, I, I'm, I'm going to make a big leap here and say there's a part one uh, yes. as well. Um, and I think I found, oh, this is the one I actually really liked, you know, the prompt engineering layer. <laughs> I got to tell you.
1: There's not part one. That is a part one, two, three, four, five. I didn't know. Yeah, got it. So you can find all of them. I, I've made a separate uh, heading of the substack called the AI Pluralism newsletter. You can find that if you're on the substack, it sh- you should just be able to scroll to the top and find that, uh, or, or you can find it by typing in pluralism.ai and it should lead you there.
0: Well, I like that. I, I, I saw this one. I actually, first time I read it, I thought it said the prompt engineering lawyer. Probably, <laughs> probably what we'll need at some point. Um, I also like to do a shameless uh, uh, self-promotion here. Now, this is my book, Overturning Zika, the Pandemic That Never Was. It's a big, scary, scary Aedes aegypti mosquito and big, scary my name. Um, it's, uh, I think well worth the read. Now, I've got a few articles else uh, on this topic. Um, but I'm going to leave that aside. Um, Anyway, so I'm going to leave the closing words to you, Um, Brian. Maybe you can just uh, help us um, navigate. What are your um, predictions? Where do you think things flowing uh, for good or for bad or up or down? Um, I don't know, a couple predictions.
1: Right. I think wherever wherever there's interest, this is kind of like, this is kind of where uh, extremism, particularly left-wing extremism, thrives right, is that whenever there's interest there, they have the kind of most people who are like dedicated, who are spending time on, on essentially, you know, making things worse instead of better. So in in the short term, in the short term, with regards to companies like OpenAI or Google, I think they'll, they'll face more pressure to, to censor in increasingly absurd directions. But I think the I actually wrote, yeah, this is this is also something that I wrote near the bottom of the of the second article and in my other article, um, in my in my other article announcing AI pluralism, right? Uh, I think that in the end of at the end of the day, people don't want machine learning models that will subvert their intentions. They want machine learning models that will reflect their intentions. And being able to provide that to people, being able to develop a base of trust, that's going to be very important and something that. Uh, I'll be working on as well. Uh, in In terms of like the the longer term, in terms of the longer term, I do see I do see artificial intelligence as a, a as a force for good. I also have a conversation with Sam Hammond on my Substack about this, of its uh, essentially being able to automate many of the areas that have become uh, essentially such ripe grounds for ideological distortion. Things like journalism, things like academia where it will be able to provide um or specifically administration of academia where i think it's the kind of scholars themselves you know they'll have you know they'll have biases depending on which field some quite extreme some still uh, still attached to reality but certainly i think that this kind of technology and the artificial intelligence essentially it's like paper pushing as a service right Mm -hmm. and so it is able to, it is able to alleviate some of the areas that are most uh, susceptible to attack. If it does not become an area susceptible to attack in and of itself, which is a big if, right? But th- that's the kind of future. It, it is the kind of idea that you know it's it's a pivotal point in time. What kind of machine learning algorithms get adopted? Whether they'll be more reality based as opposed to highly ideological, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yeah, I, I do think it's a very pivotal moment, but I, in general, I'm actually quite optimistic for the medium and long term.
0: Well, wonderful, Brian. Well, thank you so much. Uh, you can hang on for a minute. I'm going to say goodbye to everybody else. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, Brian Chow, uh, I think uh, you want to just give us one more uh, hint how to get uh, in, you know, in touch with you or, or follow you.
1: Right. So on Twitter, I'm uh, psychosort, P-S-Y-C-H-O-S-O-R-T. Um, the origin of the name is that you know David Shore said on a podcast that you can't you can that you can't win elections just by sorting people on a spreadsheet, and I say no, you you have to sort people in real life. You have to allocate the people. You have to find the people with the right kind of uh, right kind of abilities and the right kind of disposition. That's the origin of the handle, right? Uh, and uh, you can find me on cactus.substack.com. And for shortcuts to the podcast from the New World, shortcut to the to the AI articles, pluralism.ai.
0: Wonderful. Well, I'm in your debt, and uh, should you need any favors or or need any uh, Zika microcephaly thoughts, uh, give, give me a buzz. Any anyway, rate, thank you so much. Uh, I hope to talk to you again soon.
1: Great. Thanks for having me.